podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello again. Welcome to episode 8 of this new podcast. First, I'd like to thank everybody who's given me any sort of feedback, listened to any of the previous seven, followed on SoundCloud or subscribed on iTunes. I greatly appreciate you. If you're wondering why my voice sounds a bit mellow, it's because I've got the, the worst headache. I walked into a pair of steps because I'm an imbecile. But hopefully it won't <laughs> belittle the quality of this podcast. I had a variety of topics I could have picked for today, but I think I'll take with today I'm going to go with capitalism. What is capitalism? The pros, the cons, the different types, and examples of the pros and cons in everyday world. Quite a lot of people talk about capitalism. I'm not too sure if we're as incredibly informed as we should be. I want to try to keep it brief and kind of give like kind of foundation level knowledge. I don't believe in trying to make myself sound as clever as I can. I want to inform people. So I think it's best to kind of, you know, share the information that I, I might have taken in in kind of bite-sized format. So, okay. What is capitalism? Capitalism is basically an economic system in which the goods are owned by private individuals or businesses. And the production of these goods are determined by demand and supply, so basic economic principles. And shout out to those who've listened to my podcast on demand and supply or read my blog on dysonomics.com about demand and supply. So capitalism, compared to other um, modes of um, economic um, systems, such as communism, I'm pretty sure many of us have heard of that, essentially where the government of whatever said country determines how goods and services are produced at what price etc who gets what capitalism is probably a bit more of an efficient manner because it's leaving us people to decide prices and how much of what is produced like for example if you think about the uk think about all the different goods and services goods and services services sorry in the UK, millions upon millions. With a bit of logic, it will be insane for a group of people, no matter how intelligent they are, to sit together and determine how each of these should be priced. Doesn't make sense. In fact, it is more efficient for each individual to assess, in terms of opportunity cost, what's what's beneficial to them, how much of this good or service I like. And that way, on an individual basis, we're all making rational decisions and the market will decide, okay, in the UK, we really like rice, so we're going to produce X amount of tonnes of rice, etc. In a capitalist system, in terms of equity, that's up for grabs. Anybody can have equity, the government don't decide who has equity. Well, not directly anyway. Efficiency in a capitalist system efficiency will kind of be handled by the market. So the capitalist assumption is that businesses or entrepreneurs driven by profits will be efficient. Mm. In reality, does that really work? If you have the monopoly power, let's say I'm the only smartphone provider in the whole world. Eventually, I could just say, do what, yeah, I've got 99% of the market. I'm just going to improve my production by 0.5% each year, even though I could improve it greatly. And I'm not going to be that efficient because I know no matter what, 
people are sort of buying my product because they have no other alternative. So I kind of disagree and agree with efficiency. In terms of like monitoring the employment levels, so that's basically of all the people in the economy who are able to work, if we're taking UK for example, that's human beings aged between 16 and 65. Yeah, so the employment level is not determined by the state. So by the state, I mean the government. So the government's like, okay, we are going to employ across the board these smart people. It's determined by the market. Obviously, the government will um, implement policies to kind of affect this. For example, David Cameron and co implemented the zero hours a week contracts zero hours contract um, to kind of get more, mobilise more people to work. A lot of people are like, oh my God, this is ridiculous. How could you have people on zero hours contracts? How could they plan? Well, if there was no zero hour contract, the alternative for them to be, have no job. And people didn't understand that the job market is not static, it's fluid. You could come in on a zero hour contract and have, you know, your hours varying. Maybe one week you work 25, maybe one week you work zero or five. But you still have a job and you have your learning your learning experience and skills from that job. You could then use that job to springboard to a part-time or a full-time job. So that's a bit of short-sightedness from the doubters. But that's an example of how government policy can influence um influence um employment levels. But all in all, it's left in the market. And that can be bad because when there's a recession, and for those who don't know, uh, recession is when economic activity in a comp- in a comp- sorry in a country is declining, so you're not growing, you're kind of sh- shrinking. So in times of recession, the market because the market determines employment level, the number of people employed goes down. So if we take, for example, fairly close to home, Greece, Greece has been in a in a in a recessionary state for quite some time now. The unemployment rate for Greece is twenty five percent. To put this in, to put this into perspective, for the amount of so if you take a total amount of people who are able to work in Greece, the total amount of them without a job is one in four. One in four. That is a flabbergasting amount. To put it into perspective, think about us at home in the UK. Think about think about how think about how think about how they have found it difficult to get jobs in certain time frames. Do you know what the current unemployment rate for UK is? About 5%. 5%, 25%. Incredible. So that's another of one of the downfalls of um, capitalism. And in terms of ownership, like who actually owns assets, property, etc., it is down to individuals, businesses. Individuals own businesses. So in the UK, a lot of businesses are privately owned. But we do also have some state-owned, um, state-owned um, entities such as NHS. Now, why is capitalism useful? Why is it good? The good function of capitalism is that it's in its nature it's tied to economic growth. So individuals making the best rational decision, creating new products, businesses working for their own private incentive tends to lead to economic growth. Economic growth is good. Why? Because when there's economic growth, there's less unemployment, so more people have jobs. There's more disposable income in the economy. More people have money to do nice things, go on a holiday, do their hair, whatever. If you look at it to other systems, like um, socialism, which is a system I think is ridiculous, 
Socialism is when you decide that the people, the state, etc., has ownership of businesses. I think that's ridiculous. As I said before, you can't have a group of people deciding on how to use resources. That's not how economics works. That ends up with a lot of inefficiency. And that is one of the pros of capitalism. It is based on incentive. And you know, you lot that have been listening or reading my blogs know I say that incentive is what drives human behaviour. Humans tend to act in what is their perceived best interest. The more money you earn, as I said, the more comfortable your life could be. You could go on more holidays, buy it. You have more license to buy whatever product or service that you desire. So that enables people to chase, well, that causes people to chase profits, which can lead to efficiency. And if you look at example, for example, take China. Once China started to move away from the more communist economic system, they managed to lift one billion people out of poverty. One billion. Just from increasing their efficiency. One billion lives were changed. Now, for the downsides of capitalism. Because it's an incentive-based system, the focus and the drive will tend to be on profit rather than improving products. I'm sure many of us, especially our smartphone holders, can think, will think from time to time, they're just kind of scamming us. All this Siri, all these new little tweaks, all gimmicks, cutting down on cutting down on costs to help drive up profit. For those who don't know, profit is calculated by revenue, so how much money your business or you as an individual receive, and you minus that, you minus cost from it. So how much money you as an individual or business spends that equals profit. So when you either reduce costs or increase your revenue, you increase profit. And we see a lot of cost cutting everywhere. And for example, let's say if a business starts dropping um starts dropping in profits, what do we tend to see in the news? Ah, Lloyd's Bank have announced they're looking to cut so-and-so amount of jobs. Wages, labour tends to be one of the biggest costs for business. So if you can cut 5,000 members of staff, you're cutting on a lot of of costs, which is still maintaining profit margins. So that's one of the downsides of capitalism because what's your profit chasing and you do things like that that leads to in bad times unemployment as i said before another downside of capitalism is monopoly power for those that don't don't know monopoly power is when one business in the market is dominant for example in the tablet market apple has like an 88 percent market share they are dominant in the drinks refreshment market Coca-Cola have a market share. They're dominant. And once you have a dominant force, they don't need to act in the best interest of the consumer anymore. They will, they will probably act in the best interest of their shareholders and the company itself. As I said, profits is what drives capitalism and that's one of the biggest incentives. And once they don't take the consumer as their primary stakeholder in terms of the decision they make the product 
can suffer. We've seen that in so many different industry, industries. For example, let's take our transport. Those who travel southeastern trains or, or London Midland trains, those trains don't improve that much. They don't have to. <laughs> we're still going to ride those. We're still going to ride those trains. We're still going to pay the price because we have to. Another of the cons, another well, another con. Excuse my English. It's wealth and income inequality. Wealth inequality is basically the imbalance in how the wealth is shared across, let's say, the UK. Income inequality is just how it's just exactly the same thing. We just have income. As a human being, in terms of morally, mor- morally, and logically, I'm conflicted with wealth inequality because, just from a logical standpoint, I believe if you don't, if you generate five percent of the wealth, you should you're entitled to five percent. If you don't generate much wealth, why should you have a larger share? But then we see how the how it plays on the other side, where wealth and income inequality has led to considerable amount of people struggling in our economies and around us no matter what we think yeah they may have iphones they may have (laughs) smart tvs etc but quite a lot of people as i said on my last podcast are dealing with rising living costs and stagnating wages and that's what kind of drives the inequality of income which is obviously a bad thing also capitalism as at default doesn't really take into account social utility so doesn't really focus on the the social needs of an economy, like per se, specifically, it kind of just assumes that the market will take care of it. But market economics are kind of based on consumption, not basic needs. So that, of course, is a problem. And also, one of my biggest problems with capitalism is the self-interest part in terms of the government. As I said before, human beings are rational and they act what's in their perceived best interest. What is a government official's primary objective? Many of you may say, oh, to serve the people, to do this, to do that. To me, no. Their primary objective is to maintain their job and if they're ambitious enough, to advance in their job. Because we've got to remember that our members of parliament are not doing that work for free. They're not charity workers. It is a career. They studied in Eton or wherever they went to for this career. Just like you being a professional athlete or an architect or a teacher is a career choice, being a politician is also a career choice. So they have their career is their primary objective more often than not just using logic so how do they stay in power by winning elections right how do you win elections by campaigning well and obviously your performance if you're an incumbent to campaign well what do you need money now where does that money come from donations who tends to donate Exactly. Business owners. So, let's let's say, for example, for the London borough of, let's say, Adrian Instanton, I'm assuming that's a borough together, is, I don't know, Mustafi. 
So we've got MP Masafi. And me, Mr. Dysonomics, I'm his biggest donator. Because I also have a business, and my business sells luxury do-rags and luxury boot-cut jeans. And I donated, let's say, I don't know, 500,000 pounds. And also I have my businesses based there. MP Mustafi will be very hesitant to vote against anything that can hamper my business. Why? He knows that if he co-signs or does anything in the borough or in parliament or wherever it may be, or come out, come out in the press and say something that can damage my business, I am not going to back him come election time. It's not in his best interest because he wants to win. And let me give you some a bit more insight into politics in the UK. I'm not sure if any of you have heard of the term whip or chief whip in politics. This is somebody who basically, his or her job is to make, to whip everybody in shape to vote in line with the party. So let's say, for example, I don't know, Theresa May wants to pass a law that, I don't know, there's a 50% tax on anybody who wears a suit with astroturfs, with trainers. 50% tax. If the poli- if people see you, that's it, you're getting taxed. 50% of your salary or whatnot. Something stupid like that. No matter who you are <laughs> in, the comp- in, in that party, if you want to advance, let's say you're on the back benches, so those MPs who haven't got that much, you know, reputation or status, if you want to advance slowly down the benches into maybe like the cabinet or shadow cabinet or in some sort of um, advanced position or maybe to be, you know, the prime minister one day, you're going to have to play your role. You're going to have to listen to the boss. Even if your constituents will hate this, you will vote where the party tells you to vote. And the party may have chose that because of pressure from one of their donators. Like, there is a reason why so many businesses can get away with so much much murder. Because the governments and the businesses are kind of hand in hand. And this is a massive, massive, massive problem with capitalism. That type of capitalism that I just described is what many call crony capitalism. Is what we see today, where there's strategic influence between business owners, government official, people in places of authority. They're all kind of hand in hand. We see it a lot in America. Like, for example, I remember, um, I think it was George Bush, who didn't sign one, um, was it NATO? No, I think it was the Kyoto Treaty, some environmental... Oh, my memory's really bad right now. Because I think in many swing states, in, I think there's like two swing states where Boeing operated. And that Kyoto Treaty, if they signed it, would have severely hampered how Boeing operated. I think... Oh, I, can't, I, really should, I really should remember this. In fact, I'll probably find it and link it to the podcast. So... If Bush signed this treaty, it will affect how, I think it's Boeing, 
does business. That affects jobs in those swing states. You affect people's jobs and you affect that business in those swing states. Come election time, you will lose. Nobody is deliberately trying to lose an election. That's an example of chronic capitalism. That's why we've seen a delayed fight against the banks. The governments have slowly woken up and noticed that if we don't actually tackle this, we're doomed. We're not winning elections. So they're slowly but surely chipping away at these banks with legislation after legislation after legislation. But it's pretty much, it's not good enough. Another example of chronic capitalism to me is, is if we take the London market, housing market, is how we allow, once well, I say we, basically the government, rich foreign nationals from the likes of Russia, China, Nigeria, the United Emirates, to come and use houses as bank accounts. They are paying cash up front for these houses. Let's say, not in Hillgate, for me in the house, boom, this oligarch has just bought it. No intention to stay in it, maybe the odd holiday. No intention to rent it out. But this person thinking, hmm, four, 10% return on this, so instead of having it in an ISA or a fixed bond um, account on a 3% return, it makes more sense. You're gaining 7%. But what does it, how does this impact the UK and the people? You're taking one house off the market. It's not for sale. It's not for rent. So I remember what I said about demand and supply. If you decrease supply, what happens? Price goes up. Of course. And this is to not much gain to the UK. It's not like the money is now recirculating in the United Kingdom. And let one of us, the normal people, try to buy a house outright in cash. The way Emma 5 and James Bond and all them will be at our house, <laughs> no, no chance. But the government lets it slide. Of course they do. Another example where the uh, us the people are able to relate. Everybody's probably heard of tax avoidance. Amazon don't pay taxes. Google don't pay taxes. Starbucks don't pay taxes. It's a loophole that they've used, which is pretty clever. So this is basically... Okay, how can I describe this? I'm proper freestyle. I'm going off tangents. Apologies. Okay, cool. Let's say Starbucks, yeah? So Starbucks... Okay, American company. Let's say... What Starbucks will do was... Let's say I've got my own country... Dishonomics Island, off the coast, off the Mediterranean coast. Now, my country, the corporation tax or the tax on businesses is very low. It's 1%, okay? Corporation tax is calculated as a tax on profits. So it's not like our income tax. It's a tax on profits. As I said before, you take your revenue, you minus your cost, and whatever number is left, which is the profit, and that gets taxed at a percentage rate. I think I was like 19 or 20%, I can't remember. But let's say for Dishonomics Island, that tax rate is 1%. Okay, obviously Starbucks, they want to have shops in the UK. There's plenty of people in the UK. UK people like coffee in the city. We love getting finesse, paying £6 for mocha chocolate, something, something that I have no idea what these things are. All I know is white hot chocolate with hazelnut. Try that out, people, it bangs. So we have hundreds of stores, Starbucks stores, in the UK. 
what Starbucks will do is say these are franchises and they have to pay like an intellectual property license to the head office in this moment's island and they'll charge it at whatever rate the rate won't be so high that is ridiculously obscene that could be contested by competition boards etc but it'll be high enough that it eat away at the profit so let's say normal costs and sales should leave starbucks with let's say i don't know in the whole uk profits of 50 million pounds which you get taxed the licensing that Starbucks will charge, quote unquote Starbucks in my dysonomous island will charge, let's say it costs 25 million. That will reduce the profits by 50%. So the tax that Starbucks pay in the UK is down by half. Where has this 25 million pound licensing cost gone to? Is gone to dysonomous island. So that 25 million has transferred itself from the UK to Dishonomics Island. On the, so that's now on the Dishonomics Island Starbucks Starbucks's books. Because the the tax rate in this new in this Dishonomics Island is so low, it's fine having higher profits there because you get tax less. I really hope that makes sense. So essentially, they are just transferring <laughs> their money to a low tax haven. Surely the government should want to combat that. That ta- extra tax revenue could be used for government expenditure on education, defence, health, welfare, whatever. But, quite a capitalism. Another type of capitalism is state capitalism. This is kind of exhibited in China. Remember what I said before in capitalism where the role of producing goods and services and determine how resources are allocated is by individuals and private companies. Your Googles, whatever. And you as an individual. China is kind of a state where the Chinese government are heavily involved as well as the businesses. So it's kind of a balance between the two. There's another type of capitalism, which is what I think the Western world attempted, but it started to delve into crony capitalism, is responsible capitalism. This is where there's government regulation, where the government steps in to make sure businesses operate efficiently and the best interests of consumers. So it won't let, you know, a group of businesses form an oligopoly and just, you know, start colluding with prices like, okay, let's say all the, all the telephone markets combine together and say, Do you know what? yeah, we're going to raise our prices 15%. Nah. Governments will be more active in regulating all the industries. An extensive welfare system, so maybe somewhere like Denmark or Sweden, where there's a heavy safety net for anybody that, you know, needs help from the government in terms of, I don't know, uh, childcare, providing homes for the homeless, etc. A progressive tax system, which we have which we have here, the more money you earn, the more you get taxed, bars in brackets. So the people who earn more pay a higher tax rate. 
so the government has more money to reinvest in the economy. But obviously, there's pros and cons of this because, as I said before, with the Starbucks example, the people that have a lot of money are very clever in avoiding tax. And there's been studies showing, I think, in like an, an early 19th century, 20th or 20th century, with France. Don't quote me on that. If I don't quote me, I'm going to go double check what European country it was. But when they increased tax dramatically, they decreased tax receipts. That's the money they, they received. So you would think, naturally, okay, if I make everybody pay more tax, then surely I should have more money, right? Not necessarily. That might even further incentivize people to dodge and avoid tax. Um, another kind of um, characteristic of responsible capitalism is like social benefits. So like travel, health, education, kind of funded by the state, which is what we see here. We have the NHS, we have the state who take control of, um, the government takes control of education as well as travel. And the monopolies are regulated. We have, regu- we have regulatory, regulatory boards. Are they really on job? At least that's for you to decide. So yeah, in conclusion, capitalism. I've not explained where it is. I've explained the pros and cons. I've explained the different types. My personal opinion on capitalism is that it is the best system out of a bad bunch, just like democracy when it comes to determining who's in power or whatnot. It's the best system out of a bad bunch. I believe that we should focus on moving towards a more responsible type of capitalist capitalist structure. But also that really, really involves us as the people being aware and paying attention to what goes on around us and holding individuals accountable as i said in my last podcast is very 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 key there's been certain elements across the last century that have been added to capitalism that are part of economics i mentioned two podcasts ago about the root of money and how we have certain asset markets that don't that don't really benefit the rural economy but when they go wrong they damage the rural economy set us into frenzy it is up to us to keep an eye, watch the news, go to meetings in your local communities, your local um, town hall meetings, etc. We need to keep these politicians in check because they're, they're out for themselves, as we are in our relative fields. But unfortunately for them, they are of a high, quote, quote, higher purpose because they are governing us. So we, make sure they, we need to make sure they do it properly. None of this acting in their best interest of the top 1%, and we all pay the bill. None of that stuff. So yeah, that's it. That's the quick capitalism. Well, I hope it's quick. I don't know how long this took. Breakdown. Please hit me up if you have any questions, any feedback, positive or negative, or just want to have like a general chat about what I said or anything that's in the previous podcast. Just tweet me at Disunomics or if you can email me any economics students who want any advice or help Disunomics at gmail.com and yeah thank you for listening
please subscribe on iTunes, follow on SoundCloud, and share to your new peers. Flip this money, then we stack it up. Burning bridges, niggas acting up. She on my body like I'm tied up. I ain't seen nobody by this heart. I ain't seen nobody by this heart. Sports Social Podcast Network.